Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group, recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Good to go? Good to go. All right. So I'm I'm back to the Takeaways podcast with Clyde Horner. As you know from the previous episode, Clyde is my Vistage chair. He's a Vistage chair, and in that capacity, he facilitates three groups of about 40 or so CEOs, company owners, company executives. I'm in one of Clyde's Vistage groups. We meet once a month as a group. And Clyde, you also meet with your members one-to-one, once a month for two hours. So let's start there. Uh, we, we introduced you as the belief challenger in the last show, and people got to know more about you and how you started. You're a recovering CPA, and now you're, you're in this capacity as a facilitator to improve people's lives. In your one-to-one meetings with these various uh, CEOs and company owners, what happens in those meetings? What's the point? The point is to give a member or a person of any kind a chance to have somebody to talk to because they probably don't have anybody else in their life that they can just let their hair down, take all the mask off, and be themselves and not be afraid they're going to get hurt. So the two hours is that person's time. Hopefully they've prepared, done some kind of primer or think about what subjects they that are the most important in their life that they want to talk about because there there's a good chance they're not going to be able to talk to their wife or they're afraid to or their wife just wants to be or a spouse wants to be the spouse and may not want to get involved in the business world or whatever they want to talk about their they partner they can't talk to their employees because they'll scare them to death yes they probably don't like their partner so they they want to go talk to their partner and their friends want to be their friends so they don't really have anybody so i'm there just to let them talk about so you're the the antidote to that phrase it's lonely at the top yes that's the whole purpose so what kind of things in your typical one-to-ones come up just generally what kind of topics any kind of topic in you can think of. It could be health. It could be financial. It could be kids. It could be spouse. It could be business. There's, there's What's there one no specific example of a business topic that came up recently? Uh, strategic planning. Uh, exit strategy. So uh, you have, a, you have a, a member in your group that is thinking about, I need to exit from my company. Yes. How do I do it? So they start their thought process around it with you. Yes. And my job is to ask them questions so they can think about what they're not thinking about or what they're thinking about. Why don't you just tell them what to do? Uh, because I don't know. I, I may have an idea of what would work for me. I'm not them. They're not me. I've got a different personality, different style, different experiences than they have. My job is to get them to think about it and focus on it 
and clarified so they can bring that subject to the group where there are 10 or 15 ideas rather than just one for me. So my job is to help them clarify. And we talked last time about the, the importance and the power of asking questions. So that's a typical one-to-one. That's your typical process. But the reason we're here today for the Encore episode of Clyde Horner on the Takeaways podcast is that you recently had a really significant one-to-one with a member. Why was it so significant? It was, it was significant because he was in the final stages of dying. And uh, he was at a frail point. He knew death was right around the corner. His wife uh, asked me when I wanted to come over and sit with him, and uh, he was ready. And so I went over on a Saturday thinking I'd be there for 30 or 45 minutes, wound up lasting for two hours in his office, door closed, talking about everything in the world. Uh, I didn't know what we were going to talk about. I had uh, I'd gotten some coaching before I went, and I knew I wanted to tell him how he had affected my life, what I'd learned from him, what the members had learned from him. And he wanted to talk about what he learned from the group. And he also, he talked about, uh, he talked about things that I didn't anticipate. He, uh, when he came into the group, he wanted to know what was going to be his next thing. He was 60 some odd years old. He knew he was probably going to have to transition. He thought his employer, he was not an owner, he thought his employer was going to require him to retire at 65, and he wanted to know what was next. And as How long has he been your member? He, uh, he left about a year or so ago when he really started getting sick. Mm-hmm. And he was but in the before that, how long? Okay. For two or three years. Okay. And uh, I brought the first thing we did was we talked about his hand, handwriting analysis. What's that for people who don't know what that is? That's a type of personality profile that's discovered f- strictly from 10 lines of hand, handwriting. It's analyzed and uh, measured and put up against a database. And it, it gives you four quadrants, just like Myers-Briggs and DISC and other normal uh, personality profiles. And I suggested maybe we do that and he might get some ideas talking to the owner of that company, and he did. And what he came up with was a plan, a plan for the next uh, part of his life. And one thing this fellow was good at, when he had a plan, he could work it to perfection. So he came up with that quickly and started out on it. The problem is uh, cancer got in the way. Then he came up with a plan for cancer and uh, then death approached then he came up with a plan to die and that day when I went to see him he wanted to tell me about that plan he had already visited hospice hospice had already come to his house they had brought a hospital bed he had talked to his wife and his son about what how he wanted them to support each other after he was gone uh, he talked to his son about his faith, which his son had not uh, had not gotten to that point. So he was teaching and letting everybody know his expectations 
after he was gone, and he was ready. He, uh, I've never been around somebody dying that was so confident of the ending and the new beginning. He was okay with both. And uh, the confidence just uh, shone through. And you could see on his forehead a tumor. He had a coat on, so I couldn't see the tumors on his arm. But he talked about those. And he knew he knew it was coming. And that was on a Saturday. He became non-responsive the following Monday. So I got there just in time. Wow. When you told me about this, that you were going to have your final one-to-one, there's a lot of, not a lot, there's a couple of things that pop in my mind. Why would you have a final one-to-one? It could be my members leaving the group, my members leaving Vistage, uh, they're, they're transitioning out of their job, they don't need Vistage anymore, but in this instance, final was final. And you described your two-hour-ish conversation, and I immediately flashed to a book that I had read in my 20s called Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, it's a fascinating book. I don't remember how exactly I learned about it, but the premise of the book, uh, the author is a guy named Mitch Album, is a real-life guy. He's a sports journalist, or was at the time. He's still a journalist in a different capacity. He was flipping through the channels as he tells a story uh, one night and saw on Nightline with Ted Koppel, a, a former professor of his named Maury Schwartz. He went to school at Brandeis. Maury was his professor at Brandeis. And Maury was on Nightline with Ted Koppel on a three-part series talking about how he was going to die. He had been diagnosed with ALS, and he knew that the end for him was imminent. And I think he was a social sciences teacher or something like that. So he really took this, uh, made a decision to, to use this as an opportunity to teach humanity on how to die. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, you, you told me earlier before we started talking about uh, a fish. So jump right into that, and then we'll go from there. Since I've uh, been around death so much lately and reading uh, the book Tuesdays with Maury, I got to thinking about the story about a fish and when a fish discovers there's water. And you'd think that they would know all about it because that's where they live, and that's the problem. You asked me what, what I thought when a fish discovers water, and immediately I thought when it's born and it comes out of wherever it comes out and it's in the water and it's swimming and and breathing the oxygen from there, but that's not true. Yeah, the fish discovers water when it's taken out of water, and it can, it can no longer breathe, swim, what have you. It doesn't know how to behave. And I, I thought, with all this death uh, thing going around, it's hard to know how to live until I'm faced with death because I don't appreciate the living near as much as I do once I see and fa- and I'm faced with death. That's at least my experience. So we'll talk a lot about uh, Tuesdays with Maury and the life lessons that Maury Schwartz taught us through this book and through Mitch Album. I want to go back to the beginning of this particular conversation where your member's wife called and said, when would you like to come? And you schedule a day and a time. Your expectation, you just talked about, that you'll be there for 30, 40 minutes and you'll be on your way. First, have you ever done anything like that before? 
the closest thing I've done with that is the my last employer we uh, we had a, an airplane and a pilot and the pilot died uh, up in Montana and the CEO called me and asked me to go tell his wife that he had died apparently he could not uh, find her on the phone so she lived over in Henderson so my wife and I got dressed and got in the car and drove to Henderson and my, the pastor at that time told me the way you tell somebody that is you just need to look them in the eye and and be direct you don't need to talk about the weather you don't need to talk about the football game you just need to deliver the information because there's just really not an easy way to do it so that's the closest I've come so you got coaching the last time you did it from a pastor you said this time you were coached by one of my pastor members in the Vistage group. So at least I got to talk about it before I went. So you schedule the day and the time. You call your pastor member and you say, here's what I'm facing. I need help. Is that how it went down? Yeah. Just give me some, just give me some ideas of what I'm going to have to navigate. And he did that. And uh, What kind of examples or what kind of tips did he, did he give you? The main thing to talk about is what value the member or the dying person brought to me and the group. Help them understand how important they are, what their value was. And I just listened for a chance to bring that up. He was, it wasn't hard to talk because he wanted to talk. My big job was there to listen and say something if I had a chance, I wasn't there to teach, preach, uh, or anything other than be a good listener. I'm curious, you know, I, when I'm either going to a funeral or I had an aunt who was passing away and it was, uh, we got the text one evening, come tomorrow, it's going to be probably her last day. I know what I was facing, and it's kind of shitty to say, but I'll say it because this was... a an authentic thought and emotion, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to see her in that condition. I want to remember her like I remember her. And the shitty part that I was thinking is she's not going to know if I'm there anyway. I was also coached in that you show up. Uh, You don't have to say anything. Just be there. I'm curious for you, what kind of thoughts and feelings did you go through leading up to your last one-to-one with your member? Uh, don't screw up the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, uh, I went through all kinds of thoughts about, you know, what's it going to be like? What's he going to look like? Uh, what's he going to want to talk about? Uh, I took a handkerchief because I knew there were going to be all kinds of tears. Mm-hmm. He brought a box of Kleenex in. Uh, my biggest fear was how do I leave? How do I get out of that? house why why was that your biggest fear because i didn't want to say goodbye so the longer like goodbye goodbye yeah or you didn't want to be rude and not screw up the conversation so i I didn't want to say goodbye and period of any of any kind so as i sat there for two hours i finally figured it out i told him and his wife after as we were getting up and leaving i've got some time next week i think maybe i could come back again and both of them said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have to say goodbye. 
because I was always planning on going back. Just didn't have the opportunity. Did you really believe you were coming back? Yeah. You did? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't realize it was quite as close as it was. So take us to day of. Ring the doorbell, knock on the door. Yeah. I How mean, did it go? Uh, it went it re- really good. I decided to uh, go with some humor. When he started chemo, uh, somebody gave him a cap, a golf cap with, uh, uh, with hair on the top. And so I thought that was so funny. I went and ordered myself one. So I wore that cap. Like a kind of exaggerated hair? Yeah. It's coming out of the top of the of the baseball hat, one of those? Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. So at least we started it off with some humor. And uh he wanted to go in the he wanted to go in the his study and we closed the door, just just him and me. And uh it he just wanted to talk and I I just needed to be a good listener. So when we talked about what you what your job is in the one-to-one with a member, you said, my job is to ask questions. In this instance, you've shifted. You've said it a couple times. My job is to be a good listener. Are they different, or is that one and the same? Uh, well, if I'm asking questions, I've got to be a good listener. So it's they're certainly connected. In this case, there was one question I knew I wanted to ask, and I finally found a, a time to do it, and I just looked at him and said, how can I be a, a, the most help? Not to you, or I just said, how can I be the most help? And his answer was just something I didn't expect. He avoided it for about two or three minutes. Then he came back and he says, you know, I think the way you can help the most is afterward, which meant after he died. Mm-hmm. He said, afterward. Wait about five days and give my wife a call and see what she needs. So he had thought everything through. He was working his plan to die. Has five days passed? Uh, just about, yeah. Have you made the call yet or are you going no, to? No, she and I have. She sent me his obituary, wanted my feedback. Um, when he joined our group, uh, two or three years ago, he did something with the group that was the coolest thing. We were working an issue of uh, a person in the group that wasn't happy with his life or it wasn't for sure what he wanted to do. And my friend that died said, maybe we ought to go with the book, The Seven Habits. And he said in that, ha- in that book, the second or third habit is start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And he said, maybe we ought to all write our, our obituaries and see where we are at the end, and then we can work backwards. So we, di- we all did that. So with his wife uh, this morning, I sent her the obituary I wrote for myself and the obituary that, uh, not, not the obituary, the eulogy that I wrote for myself and the eulogy my wife wrote for me, and I sent those to her, and I, I reminded her that I'm a recovering CPA, not a psychologist, mm-hmm. so this could be wrong. I suggested to her, though, if she just sat down and wrote, that would be really cool mm-hmm. and healing for her. So I, I asked how I could help. That's the only question I remember asking. I remember in the book, Mitch 
the author talks about a similar conversation with Maury and Maury asked something of Mitch and he said, after I'm gone, come to my grave, bring a picnic basket. Don't just come like, like most people come. Don't just show up, come walk by, put some flowers, maybe say a prayer and leave, bring a picnic basket, bring some sandwiches, stay for a while. Talk to me, tell me how things are going. Is there a correlation between between those two? Uh, Him asking you, wait five days, call my wife, see how she's doing. Uh, could could be, but he was he was thinking about his wife because I the way I interpreted that was he was thinking about his wife because he knew that there wasn't anything I could really do because he uh, he already knew the end was near. That's the way I interpreted it. Another thing Maury said, I'm not sure if it was to Ted Koppel in the interview or to Mitch, uh, he said, I'm on the last great journey here and people want me to tell them what to pack. Did you remember talk to you about any of his observations? facing the end and what what reflections he had uh, I don't think so uh, the only thing he talked about at the end is how he had talked to his son about uh, his his faith and his beliefs and how he had talked to his wife and his son how they could support each other afterwards he had talked to his sisters about what he ho- had hoped for um, that's the closest, I think. Why did he focus on those things as part of his plan? Uh, why did he focus on that? I think he had been he had been taking taking care of the company he worked for, the employees he had worked for, and now that he was taking care of somebody before he left. That's the only thing I can think of. What do you mean by somebody? His 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 wife. His family. His family, yeah. Interesting. What kind of mindset did you observe that he had? Uh, Confident. He was very confident in the ending and the new beginning. How could he be so? Okay, well, the ending and new beginning. So is is the new beginning belief and the faith that you talked about, is that where his confidence came from? Yeah, I think so. He knew this wasn't the ending. Uh, you know, there's no saying uh, for every ending there's a beginning. Mm-hmm. And in death, he, he saw a, a beginning also, not just a death. Was he certain about what's to come? I think so, yeah. Did he talk yeah. about it? Yeah. And that's what, what was. What did he say was to come for him? Uh, he said... Uh, as soon as he got to heaven, he probably was going to take inventory. <laughs> he was probably <laughs> going to take inventory. Then he would probably have to do some refurbishing because God was old. <laughs> <laughs> so he, was, he, was, uh, he wasn't planning on this, this being an end. He was planning on what his new position was going to be. In fact... His wife came up 
uh, she, f- she posted on Caring Bridge, which is an app for sick people or dying people or families of, of sick people. Uh, she posted on there that today he- uh, Heaven has a new general manager. <laughs> so they that's both were th- confident. That's a big job. Yeah. So what I'm I'm my takeaway from what you're talking about is faith. Uh faith in in what's to come. I believe in the book Maury talked about that, but he also talked about not being certain about what's to come. And he was he was okay with that too. What was interesting that I observed in Maury and I'm curious what your thoughts are around this. He had a mindset of, am I going to withdraw from the world or am I going to live? And that's when he was facing death. He knew it's months away, but still had the, the, the resolve to not withdraw and fully engaged. And not just with your member, but with what you see in your capacity as a Vistage chair and, and these 40-some-odd executives that you interface with. How can someone develop that kind of resolve or mindset to not withdraw from the world but to really lean into life I think it's uh, probably with him and I think with with anybody I have to have a purpose why do I get up in the morning and uh, Maury had a purpose to teach and a purpose to engage with people and there's there's been a lot of times when I wanted to leave and quit, give up, whatever you want to call it. That's in, in Vistage? In, in Vistage, okay. yeah. And I've chosen not to do that. Uh, I, think, I think this body and this mind was built to move and learn and interact with people. I saw my mother as she got older uh, not be able to have a social life and be around other human beings. We're pack animals. Mm-hmm. and we Physically she couldn't? Physically, yeah. Okay. Because she couldn't drive, so somebody had to come get her. And uh, when I moved her into an assisted living facility, then there was much more social. It, there was eating together, uh, sitting together, exercising together, and that's what we as human beings really want and need so i think in maury's case uh i think he he said he looked forward to the conversation and and engaging with with uh, mitch there's another thing though when i've seen people withdraw my grandmother and her old age and eventually when she passed on even my mother a little bit there was a resistance when it came to uh, more and more dependency on other people. Maury had a whole different outlook on that, and he says, "Indulge your dependence." And his biggest fear was that at some point, when the disease would get his hands, he would have to depend on somebody to wipe his ass. Mm-hmm. But then he said, uh, "While that's my biggest fear, I indulge it because I get to be a baby again." And it was so clearly for him a choice. You know, we're both living, 
what what are your observations around the choices we make about life and about this i can choose to withdraw because now i'm dependent on people or you can you know take that into anything or i can choose to lean into that even if it's something like i'm dependent on you wiping my ass uh, i think it, everything we have is a choice and <coughs> as i see people get sick even myself uh some of us want to uh go hide run away and hide because we don't like the way we look or we don't that is not you no. you are not a hider <laughs> uh my friend on s on the two Saturdays ago wasn't a hider either. He sat there in front of me as bad as he looked and didn't never uh, showed any concern about that. I've got other people, though, that don't want anybody around. And I, I just uh, I hope I'm not that way when I get, get to that point. I think Maury had somehow figured out how to make this work as as did my other member who died a, a week or so ago both of them had a plan of how to die so it's really you talked about purpose in life uh, you talked about even a purpose in death with faith and a plan how important is that to have a plan for everything what if i'm just not a planner i'm i'm not sure it's necessary uh I'm not, I'm not sure it's necessary. I, I haven't thought about that. Uh, um, You're a planner. I'm a, I'm a planner, and I'm working hard on not having a plan. Why? Um, I th the coaching I got was just trust myself. To know what to do rather than having to plan every step of the way and just get up and go and see what happens and some I don't, I'm not sure that's a uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea in death because that's that's a little more important or it can certainly make it easier on other people my old CEO when I really pushed him to plan for the end, he said, Clyde, I don't need to worry about that because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> Let everybody else worry about that. Well, when, when my former CEO died suddenly. Without a plan. Without a, an emergency plan, it was really hard on the people left behind. So I think it's good to have a plan uh, about the assets, about the will, and all that stuff. So, and your member took it to even beyond the the will and the assets. It was uh, a conversation with a spouse and his son, and, and how hospice. he how he expects them to interact. The hospice, the sisters, and there's definitely a correlation between the way he viewed the end and the responsibility for others, not so much himself, and the way that Maury describes it. Right. Even to the point when Ted Koppel was pressing him about the uh i think he described it as the kevorkian option at the end when uh als you're just you can't move you're you're trapped in your own body he said that will be a decision with my family and he never said it was only his decision by himself right 
So that's an interesting correlation between the two of them. There's there's another thing that he talked about, which you touched on. Uh, uh, Maury is a teacher, and he had steps for dealing with death that he shared. And uh, you talked about the contrast with you've seen people that don't want anybody around and the other side of the spectrum with please come around. Maury had six steps. I don't know if you got to this part in the book yet. And so I'll ruin it for you if that's okay. He said, step one, talk about it. Much as you can, don't hide in the corner. Step two, accept it. Step three, keep an open heart and then open it up further and further and further. And he admitted that that could be a bit touchy-feely, which is right up your alley. Step four, be alert and aware to things that really interest you and go for it. Be involved. Step five, be compassionate to yourself and to other people. Step six, treat yourself gently. Be kind to yourself. You didn't create your illness. Yeah, I I think those are really good. Uh, And the first one, talk about it. I had to learn how to do that. When I had the melanoma removed in 1986, I, uh, I, I did the opposite. I didn't tell anybody. My wife was the only one that knew. Uh, I didn't tell my kids. It took me two years. When I was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago, I talked about it the next day with my Vistage groups, with everybody. I learned it was okay and helpful to talk about it, get it out. What's, what's so go, go to the differences between how you kept it. You told me it was two years before you told your kids about your melanoma. Yeah. Yet with the prostate cancer, you went the next day and told people that aren't even your family about it. Right. How How did one or the other affect you? Well, the, the second one, it was much easier to talk about it. And somehow it allowed the pressure to be taken off. The first time, uh, I kept it all in, and that's a heavy load to keep secrets from people. Even my friend that died, uh, he told me, he, when, he, when I first met him four or five years ago, everything was a secret. And as he progressed through this illness, he told me he had learned to tell everybody. That way he didn't have to keep track of what he had told which person just be Mm. open and candid about it just put it on facebook right it's a couple different ways we could we could go here Uh, you brought up your friend so we'll kind of we'll stick with that for a second we talked about everything is a choice and maury talked about how you want how do you choose to die and he gave some some states, emotional states, mental states. Do you choose to go with anger, with fear, with sorrow, with rage, with gentleness, acceptance, with welcoming, denial, withdrawal, or serenity? How did your friend choose? What I saw was acceptance and confidence. 
That's what I saw. How he got there, I'm not sure. Uh, I think the way he got there, he had he had been living with this for so long. He had probably gone through most of the grieving process by the time the end got there. It was interesting that Maury talked about how he grieved every every morning. And it's so much about, you know, we talked about the steps for dealing with death. There are also steps for living, I think. And the grieving process that Maury went through is he gave himself permission every day, every day to mourn himself a little bit. And then after he did that, he went through his process. He didn't give himself too much time, but he did give himself time every day. He's, it's almost like he flipped a switch and, and went on to living with his purpose. Uh, I, I, can re- I can relate to that a little with the prostate cancer situation I've got. It's really tempting to stay in bed covered up in the dark every morning and because of the fear of what's going to happen during the day. And so I have to have a conversation with my ch- myself change my thoughts, throw off the cover, remember my purpose, get dressed, get in my Corvette, and uh, charge hell with a glass of water. It's (laughs) going to be okay. And staying uh, in a fetal position, worrying about the day or worrying about tomorrow, is just not a way to live. How do you do that, though? How do you... Is it just that easy to say, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm giving myself permission for this? And Maury, he described it as, uh, I have to cry, I have to mourn, but I also, I also have to live the life I have left. Is it that easy once you make that choice? It's, it, it's easy to make the choice. It's, it's minute by minute for me because the negative thoughts can always show up. And I've got to face them and say to myself, you want to continue these negative thoughts or we're going to try some, some more positive ones? A little pep so, talk. Yeah. It's a choice then which thoughts am, am I going to go with. And the positive thoughts are much more productive and fun. And it starts with the awareness. I have the same thing. It's yeah. an awareness of I can change my thoughts. I can. Yeah. You have to notice them. You have to notice when your mind, the self-talk goes to negative. And once you do notice that, you have to you have to believe and be aware that it is a choice. I could say stop. I don't have to switch yet. Just stop. Stop with the negative. I play little games too sometimes. I'll just smile. Like if I'm driving in the car and I notice I've been thinking negative things, I'll stop and I'll just I'll smile. It's silly. If it's really negative thoughts and I keep going back, I'll I'll look in the mirror for a few seconds and I'll smile at myself in the mirror. And now it's a silly little game with me and I'm focused on holding a smile for as long as I can without having any negative thoughts. And what do you think happens after a few minutes of the charade that I'm playing with myself? (laughs) (laughs) You got to make a decision. Well, the decision's made. Now I'm focused on, on not crashing my car because I'm looking in the rearview mirror so I could see the smile in my face (laughs) and all those negative thoughts are sort of over there on the side somewhere. But then I do at that point have to consciously put in some things of gratitude. Yeah, I get yeah. like I'm driving a car. I have a car. I'm not in on a bus or, or worse. And for me, it really goes down to fundamental things like that. Yeah. 
a, sh a shift from negative thoughts to appreciation and gratitude. Let's shift this conversation at this point now because we've talked a lot about, we'll go back to the fish. Okay. You talked about when a fish notices they're not in, they're, they've, when they first notice water is when they're not in it anymore. And I know for me when I go to a funeral, every time I'm faced with a reckoning of my life. Uh, Mitch Album talked about it in the book Tuesdays with Maury. When he first reconnected with Maury, after he was a, a you know youthful, naive, exuberant student that was going that that's uh, his view of the world is that people who wore ties and drove Ferraris were evil and not having the freedom to travel to Paris spontaneously was no life at all. All of a sudden was meeting his professor again after many years and he was that evil man throwing himself into work and like the fish was reckoning his own life. He asked, it was, his reflection was, you know, what happened to me? What happened to me? He said, he kind of said over and over. Maury, interestingly, met his student with some questions. And I want to talk about the questions that he had asked him. He asked, did you find someone to spend your heart with? Are you giving to your community? Are you at peace with yourself? Are you trying to be as human as you can be? Hopefully I'm not ruining the book for you if you didn't get to these. But No, those are good. Talk about why they're good. Which of those, of those four jumps out at you first? I think uh, find somebody to spend your heart with. Um, I've been Does it have to be romantic? No, I don't think. I don't think so. Uh, I think in my case, I've been married for 56 years, and neither one of us are, I think, as focused as we could be about spending our heart with the other one. We're mostly doers, and I think that gets in the way. And I think the older I get, the more appreciative I'm, I am of the heart stuff. So... That's a great question that we could pay more attention to, especially a younger person. So I'll put you on the spot. You don't have to share about you and Kay, but what would be an example in your mind about sharing your heart with somebody? What does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, talking to them about what's important, uh, being open and candid and vulnerable. You don't think people do that naturally? No. Well, I can speak for myself. It was, I was 50 some odd years old before I learned how to do that. Prior to that, I followed what my parents did and didn't talk about anything. So I never knew my parents' hopes and dreams for themselves or me because we did, that's not something we talked about. Now then, I, my son has been in one of my Vistage groups for over 10 years, and we share what— Your son is in your group? Yes over 10 years wow and so when we talk about significant events for the last month then i get to hear what is important to him and he gets to hear what's important to me and that's totally different from the way i was raised what about giving to your community i think i i think probably when i when i first think of that i think it's through 
my church first. And I think in some way, my job now in working with CEOs and, and, and professionals, I think that's giving in a way to, to a certain community. I, I take that also as, you know, community doesn't just have to be an organized community like a church or you know going to the park and picking up trash. Giving can be, what are you giving to somebody else? It's almost like w- the example I gave, when I, to stop the negative thoughts, you go into gratitude. To stop anything bad in life, go into giving. Because if I'm giving you something and I expect nothing in return, I win, frankly. I feel good about it. I feel energized about it. That's how that question showed up for me. How hard is it to be at peace with yourself? Let's take it out. Let's take this question out of the context of what we're talking about, which is your your last one-to-one with a member, the book with Tuesdays and Maury. Let's shift this question into your one-to-ones with your Vistage members every month. How many of these top executives, some of the most prominent people in our community, how many of them are at peace with themselves? I'm not sure whether many of them have actually asked that question. They're too busy building, doing. Um, So I wouldn't think very many of them are really at peace. That that's a guess. Are you at peace with yourself? That's a great question. And I'll tell you my theory. My theory is that's a choice also. I just have to choose because I, I'm, I'm never satisfied with achievement and I can also be at peace with myself even though I'm not there yet. So I have to make a choice of saying, yes, I love myself or I don't love myself. Uh, I learned a few years ago, somebody asked me how much on a scale of 1 to 10 – what was the score of loving myself? And I said, oh, maybe a five or six. And what they taught me was, if I only love myself at a five, that's the most I can give away. And it's also the most I can take in. Mm. So I came to the conclusion that I was going to love myself at a 10. That's my, it was my choice. Yes, I can always be critical. I can always want to do more. And I can also s- be at peace with myself. Were you successful in that choice to love yourself at a 10 versus a 5? Yeah, I've started. Or is that also a minute-by-minute minute conversation? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a minute-by-minute. And anytime I'm faced with that question, though, I'm, not, I'm okay with saying it's a 10 because I think it's a choice. That's so fascinating, that observation. If you love yourself at a 5, that's all you can give. It's just like money. If you only have a dollar, you can only give a dollar away. But different than money, it's actually a choice to, to say, I love myself at a 10, therefore I can give it a 10. Mm-hmm. Who taught you that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a a Vistage speaker, by the way. It was a speaker. Do you remember who? Yep. Uh, Steve Schneider. Steve Schneider. Uh-huh. I'm going to go look him up. He lives in uh, Maui. The fourth question, are you trying to be as human as you can be? What does that mean? 
I'm not sure what that means. I'd have to think about that. Am I being as human as possible? Um, he asked, are you trying to be? Which is an interesting nuance if we focus in on it. Almost like it's impossible to be totally human. But are you trying to be as human as possible? Well, that, that gets back to what we talked about a minute ago. Uh, awareness. Um, most of us aren't aware of... Ask the question again. Are you trying to be as human as you can be? Okay. That really... We may not want to spend that much time on that, but what you said is, are you being, how are you being, okay? Mm -hmm. And are you are you being as human as possible? So it gets back to our beingness. How am I being rather than doing? Mm -hmm. And I think most of my life I have spent it doing, not being a human. I was a human doing than a human being so a human doing is someone that wake, wakes up early gets to the office as productive as possible uh, someone whose being is maybe that the version of mitch that will take three hours on an afternoon to go sit at maury's grave with the picnic blanket and the sandwiches and and spend time with an old friend even though he's not there but he is there or someone who, I'll take myself for an example, coming through the door, putting my phone on the counter, and making the choice to be with my children, even though it doesn't fully hold my attention all the time because I'm now addicted to this device and grabbing it to see what alert came out next so I can answer that email or look for the deal that came through. But to put it away and be there and watch my son go through the Legos and my daughter turn off the light and just turn on her nightlight and do the the dance party in a room is that the difference yeah i think that's choosing to be more human and not avoiding engaging with other humans what other takeaways clyde as you're going through this time and all these experiences do you have to share? Well, uh, I uh, with with the with the prostate situation I've gone through. It's uh, in reading the book, I could see myself as Maury. Uh, I don't know what that means, other and I could see myself sitting on the other side of the room with my member a couple of weeks ago. I can see myself in that situation. I don't know whether that's good or bad. That's just where I am right now. I'm uh, 75, and I think as we get older, or as I get older, I start seeing the end or thinking about the end more while I'm continuing to live. So uh, the, t the takeaway is just be present. Enjoy the moment. Stop the, non, the noise. Just notice what is really happening. And be okay with it. Life is really good. My 17-year-old grandson 
told my wife yesterday in his new job, his day was absolutely horrible. I'm <laughs> sure I've said the same thing. Well, horrible compared to what? Uh, you know, the fish, when it's out of water, it's, it's horrible. Uh, or it thinks it's horrible. Uh, so my takeaway is enjoy the moment and appreciate what I have. So I'll take advantage of what you just said a little bit, if that's okay. Uh, you're 75. You've, you're going through prostate issues. You're, you're experiencing friends that are passing on. You had an opportunity to sit with someone for two hours. Um, you, in your words, you said uh, you could see yourself on the other side. I'm 38. What advice do you have for me right now? And you know me, so if there are specifics... Tell me some specifics. Uh, be as human as possible. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Maury. <laughs> continue to strive and at the same time, enjoy life. Uh, life is really good. We live in the best world, best country in the world. We've got medical innovations that are coming like crazy. Uh, we got more money than we know what to do with, and stay in the stay in the gratefulness place and appreciate what you've got. Uh, contentment. I, see if I can remember. Contentment is liking what I have, and I've I've always been so competitive that I want more and and greed can really come along easily and i think i'm i'm making progress on that i'm not there yet so to me how can i get there what are one or two steps i could take to get to that it's almost like a state of mind yeah. that you're describing one way to get there i think is what what we said earlier the only way to appreciate life is to come face to face with death. I don't want to do that. Well, <laughs> okay, maybe not death. Go to the hospital and visit sick people. Uh, go to uh, an assisted living with your dog and just be around those people and see how much better off you are than they are. Uh, I've, I've said to myself many times, if I just go visit a, a sick person in the hospital once a week, I'd probably be a lot better person because I would see how much. It's hard to see how much I have when I'm not seeing somebody else without. There's something that Maury said. I have it written down here that I want to I wanna look for real quick. It was something about um, uh, here it is. No, that's not it. He talked about um, really knowing what it is that you like and going after it. And it wasn't make more money, become more successful. It was put yourself fully in f and and very much into the things that you like. That's some of the things that I took out of what you just talked about. Yeah. 
determine what you really value and do it. If it if it's not something you don't value, don't do it. Uh, if you're around people where you're not having fun or they're not having fun, change the scenery. Uh, do things that really bring life out in you. That be that helps you be human. Any final thoughts? I've got one more quote that I want to end with from our good friend Maury. But any final thoughts on this conversation or your last one-to-one with your member? Uh, the last one-to-one, uh, I th- it's probably obvious. I got a lot more out of it than he did. Than he did. <laughs> Just sitting Did there. he know that? Is that... Did he have that kind of posture with you where this was a gift? I don't know whether he did or not. But I th- I thought I got a lot more out of it. I went home and wrote several things that I just wanted to remember from that visit. And I, I, th- I, thought, I thought I was really fortunate to be able to be able to do that. And that's what you talked about. For us to really appreciate life, to put ourselves doesn't have to be in the face of death but in the f- in an environment where we can really appreciate what we have yeah i think facing death though helps helps you live uh yeah it's not pretty it's scary it may leave some uh, bad memories however those those can help me be much more grateful Dying is only one thing to be sad over. Living unhappily is something else. Those are some parting words from Maury Schwartz. Clyde, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.